With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 
Brother Lance, how you doing today? Doing well, brother. Great. Do you have a song or maybe a testimony or anything that you want to share today? Um, I just first this this I'm just blessed to to be part of the ministry, brother, and uh, know that um, the Lord is just continuing to work with me and. I've been reading a lot of the articles that's on the website and, and praying and, and in this day of fast and atonement. Um, one of the songs is just, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Uh, well, we appreciate you tuning in every week. And we want you to know that you're part of this congregation, and so uh, always feel free that if there's something you want to share, uh, let us know, okay? Definitely. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll mute you again just for now, and, uh, and hopefully also uh, I hope Jenny will be tuning in. She... Uh, 
uh, Jenny and Joshua from Texas. They're a couple that contacted me yesterday, and we'll be praying for them and and um, um, sending them a card and everything today. So keep Joshua and Jenny and their family and three children in prayer. And uh, with salute, send a salute out to Sister Lisa in New York State as well. Okay, so let's go into prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, in Jesus' name, thank you for this day of atonement, for what you did on the cross, save us from our sins, save us from ourselves, save us from our wicked ways, from our wrong choices. Thank you, Father, and Jesus, for reconciliation, bringing us back, that we don't have to be backslidden, that we don't have to be wayward, we don't have to be distant, that through your atoning blood that we can be reconciled into the Holy Spirit, to eternal life, to righteousness, to truth. We are delivered and redeemed. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, the eternal sacrifice, once for all, we praise the name of Jesus on this day of atonement. We thank you, Father, for our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus around the world. We thank you for Lance, Lisa, Jenny, and Joshua. We thank you for every person that may listen to this service live or in the archives. We thank you for this shade, for this pavilion, for this heart. We thank you, Father, for all these things. But most of all, your atoning blood and your Holy Spirit gives life. Thank you for these things. Ask, Father, in Jesus' name, your anointing, blessing on the service. We pray that the service is a blessing to you, a worship to you, a smile to your face, good, fragrant, acceptable sacrifice. Ask that all be to your glory. Ask that you anoint the hearing and receiving. Actually, a special help of God to pass Father in Jesus of this heart and this speech today. This message that may be hard to receive as well. But God, I don't want to shrink back. I want to deliver what you showed me. I don't want to be living in fear. I don't want to be in bondage of fear about what I can say or what I can't what I should share, what I shouldn't share. Leave with my brothers and sisters. I want to be free to share things that you showed and uh, just trust that they can receive. Uh, I don't want to lose any of those that you sent. Uh, I ask for your help for all of us this day. Let not division or disunity prevail, but only truth and only unity and, and faith unity of doctrine. Against every spirit of witchcraft, every deception, every spirit of infirmity, I come against every Jezebel, I come against every hindrance to the truth, I come against deceptions and lies of the devil, and against snares and traps of the devil, I come against any interference with the internet, I come against any interference with the telephone while we're doing this broadcast. When we're not doing the broadcast, 
Father's will prevails concerning the Internet and phone lines worldwide. So while we're doing this broadcast, I claim the phone lines and the Internet lines for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God, and be the blood of Jesus over the Internet and over the phone lines for as long as this broadcast, for as long as I need to broadcast this day. This day of atonement which belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Lift up my brothers in Jesus and see the blood of Jesus over all my brothers and sisters that listen to this broadcast. In the name of Jesus, so be it. Well, Father God, all this I can do. Only verse 4. 
believe this restriction remains today. We see in the New Testament that the council at Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, and the others talk about that we should not eat same sacrifice idols and things of blood. This right here, I believe, still remains. Before only you should not eat flesh with your eyes and others with blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood, never beast, I will require it, never man. From under man's brother, I will require the life of him. What that means in verse 5 is capital punishment. As God ordained, God requires the life of man or beast that takes the life of the animal, dog, or anything that takes the life of mankind. Uh, but in the blood of the animal and the blood of mankind, there is life in the blood. We talked about that. Don't eat things that are alive. Don't eat the blood. Blood has life. Don't make sure that we properly make sure from the parasites and the blood and the blood and making sure that the blood gets pushed out. So this principle of blood is very important to say this. Let's go to Leviticus 17. This whole chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, all the sons of Israel, take to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. And from the house is those slaughter ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who slaughters it outside the camp, and has not brought it full way of the tent of meeting to present it as an altar. The Lord, before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that sin. Blood guiltiness. Blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to He has shed blood, and that man is cut off from among the sheep. Now, what's wrong with committing a sacrifice? There is code. Solomon was, now this is talking about the day of atonement. There was no uh, chapter division to 
15, chapter 16 and 17, the chapter divisions did not begin until around 1590 with the uh, Geneva Bible. So if you go back to verse 29 of the previous chapter, it's talking about the tenth day of the seventh month, talking about the day of atonement. And if you read verse 33, 1633, make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he should make atonement for the tenth meeting. So it's about the day of atonement. In chapter 17, we get down to people who are doing their sacrifices on this day of atonement uh, at places that it should not be done. For the day of atonement, we're supposed to bring our sacrifice to the priest, to the high priest on the day of atonement. This is something I learned a difference uh, between the difference Day of Atonement and Passover. Passover, uh, everybody was commanded to sacrifice at home. So, so many days before, I think it's like eight, 10 days before Passover, and get their uh, lamb and then uh, sacrifice it at home and eat it at home and make a feast out of it and have your bread and wine and have your other things and have a big feast with your Passover. You didn't have to take it. But on the day of atonement, it was completely different. You would bring, I think you would still get your animal, but you would bring it to the high priest. You would bring it to the temple, and the high priest would sacrifice it for you or on your behalf. You would not eat it. None of the general public would eat any of it. I believe, I'm not sure, I believe the high priest ate part of it, even though it was commanded. Quote, but I know that the general public did not eat any of the sacrifice and the fasting. It was not a feasting day. It was a fasting day to humble yourself. And you would bring it to the priest. So instead of doing it yourself, you would be humbling yourself, not only fasting, but you would be humbling yourself to say, I need a priest. I need an elder. I need a, uh, a pastor. Humbling yourself to say, I do need a man of God to help me out with this baptism or teaching or sacrifice or whatever. So it was an act of humbling yourself to say, I'm not, I can't do my own sacrifice. Now we know that we can, in the New Covenant, say our own prayer, and God can save us. As soon as we say that prayer, yes, He can save us, but that's only an initial measure of the Holy Spirit. We have to take the second step for baptism. And then, so your prayer is kind of like Passover. And I accept the sacrifice. I accept the blood of Jesus. Ask you to forgive me my sins. It's like Passover. You can do that much yourself. But then bat, uh, baptism, your second step, is like the day of atonement. But you have to go to uh, a priest. You have to go to a man of God. Or baptism. So baptism. Now let's continue reading in verse 5. The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices 
Then they were sacrificing the Lord's spirit, that they may bring them in to the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting with the priests, and sacrifice them and sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord. The priests shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and offer up the fat and smoke as a smoothing aroma to the Lord. They shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demon with which they play the harvest. So verse 7 is saying that uh, Moses and God recognized that people had meant fornicate with Islam, with uh, uh, a, a God that was called Pan, uh, Peter Pan, and all that, uh, how that uh, the goat demon, goat of God, People were doing long sacrifices. And, but God is saying, bring your sacrifices to me instead of to Allah. Bring your sacrifices to me. Bring it to a man of the Lord that he may discern whether this is acceptable sacrifice. And let's have some organization. Let's have structure to where we know that it's being done right. Um, and then it says, it continues, this should be a permanent statue to them throughout their generation. Now, uh, anytime we deal with that word permanent, forever, uh, and all those related words, we got to understand that in the Paleo-Hebrew, Syrian, Hebrew, Greek, all those languages, their meaning for those words is different than what we think of as the Western English. In their, in their language, it actually talks about for as long as this covenant exists, for as long as this agreement exists, for as long as we're under contract, that contract can be pulled up, ripped up, and replaced. We know that the old covenant was replaced by the blood of Jesus Christ. So these sacrifices here can no longer atone for our sins. And really, it didn't even do it then. It was more of a symbol, a spiritual symbol, rather than actual true home. Because the blood of goats could not truly come for man's sin. It was more of a symbol than anything else. Verse 8. Then you should say to them, Any man from the house of Israel, from the aliens who could come, so scattering among them so the Gentiles as well, uh, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the king's meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man also should be cut off from his people. And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens, foreigners, who sojourn among them who eat human blood, I will set my face against the person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So it's the blood, not the animal. It's not the flesh of the animal, but it's the blood that the sin that so it's by the blood. 
flesh, and it is on the blood that was representing the blood of Christ. The blood of animals cannot save mankind, but the blood of Jesus can save us. And we are baptized, we are baptized in his blood, we are baptized in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. So the blood is what the atonement is about, not the animal, rather the blood. Verse 12, Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, No person among you may eat blood, for may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens, the strangers, the foreigners, the Gentiles who sojourn among them, when honey catches feet or birds it may be eaten, he shall pull out the blood of the earth. In other words, you drain the blood from the animal in the honey, drain it onto the earth and cover it up with dirt. Today, that is what we should do today. Verse 14. For as, for as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with it. Therefore, I said to the sons of Israel, you are not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood. Whoever eats it should tear off. When any person eats an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, whether it is a native or alien who shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, remain unclean until evening, then he will become unclean. And if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Do we have to do that anymore? Yes and no. We don't do it like this. We don't do it as until evening that we're unclean. We don't do it, we go wash your hands or be nice. Good, healthy to go take a shower after you get back running, absolutely. But it has nothing to do with our salvation. So what is the yes part? The yes part is we go get baptized in order to come under the blood of Jesus Christ. But we only do that once unless there is a reason why there is a need to be baptized. Sure. But for the most part, in general, we're baptized one time in our life. As far as the baptism that really takes, that is one time. Now, it is about the blood for the day of atonement. But the thing about the difference, again, between day of atonement and Passover is that Passover is the blood of a lamb. There was only one animal that you had to kill each family. One lamb. That's it. But on the day of atonement, there needed to be several times. Let's look at that in, uh, let's see, Numbers 29. Numbers 9, verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 through 11. 
Numbers 29, verse 7, then on the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. And convocation means a commanded gathering, commanded worship service. You shall humble yourself and shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a smooth and aroma. Which now we do that in prayer. A burnt offering to the Lord as a smooth and aroma. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, have a man without defect. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three tenths of a piece of for the bull, two tenths for the one ram, tenths for each of the seven lambs, one male goat for sin offering, besides the sin offering of atonement, and the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and their drink offering, which was alcoholic wine. So, we see that this is much more detailed, much more blood, because it has more animals. You have the blood on the day of atonement, the blood of the bull, ram, goat, and lamb. So this was a bloody sacrifice. And they would, uh, the high priest would sprinkle blood seven times here, seven times there. There was blood all over the place. It was a very bloody Death at the temple. Much more blood on the day of atonement than on Now, there's a reason why Passover is only a lamb and day of atonement several different That is, on the Passover day, it's representing those people that truly. Sacrifice themselves to God. Surrender to God. They're the elect, they're the chosen. These are people that are willing to worship and serve and surrender themselves to Therefore, you only need that one lamb. God has much required. It's voluntary in a way because we're serving. But on atonement, remember. Uh, last week talked about atonement, talked about there's the goat that represents those that are saved, that they're no longer goats, but now they're lambs. Other goats are people that are not reconciled, the people that the atonement does not take effect, people that uh, or not reconciled, not saved, they're lost. And uh, that goat is cast out into the wilderness uh, of uh, no man's land, spare, separation from God. So on the day of atonement, and there's a sacrifice for bull, lamb, goat, and lamb, and many animals. But it representative of even though they were sacrificed for atonement, it's like a sacrifice not taken. It's like a sacrifice that's not accepted by the community. And you have to keep sacrificing. And you say, I'm sorry, and you do the 
Remember that the sacrifice on the day of atonement is four rams goats and lambs. That's going to be important to the death of the We can take a look at one more thing real quick before we get into part two. Look at Leviticus 22. As the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. That says exactly the tenth day because the day is know that on the ninth, yesterday was not the day of atonement. On the day, the passed yesterday, yet our bellies are empty, and then we woke up this morning on the day of atonement. So bodies are already in the process of being humbled. So on exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. That should be a holy convocation commanded assembly for you, and you shall humble your soul. See that you're humbling your souls by fasting and by coming to the temple, by coming to the gathering of the saints. I know that our flesh is the temple of the temple. So we still need a house of God, whether it's a picnic table or a building or whatever. There's nothing wrong with nothing for it. We need a house of God. Uh, but for this individual ministry, I feel like we're talking about God and just two others, right? And so uh, it's talking about coming to the commanded gathering. Just like on the day of atonement, just talking about the day of atonement, the people uh, were commanded to bring their offerings by fire to the Lord. So we do that. Um, 
to the high priest, which is Jesus Christ now. Uh, so talking about that. Keep reading. Verse 28, you shall not do any work on this same day, says the day of on the behalf for the Lord your God. And if there be any person not humble himself on the same day, well, we read in Numbers that those people that will uh, not bring the sacrifice to the temple, that they will be cut off. So we if we compare both verses, we get a better understanding of what it's talking Evidently, there were people that wanted to stay at home and do their sacrifices at home. They said, we don't need to go to We don't need to go to that we don't do, that we don't need a commanded gathering. We see so many people with that attitude of, well, I don't have to go to church, God doesn't command us to go to church. Well, yeah, it does, right here. It does command us to go to church. We see people with the same attitude today that they had back then, and that is why that was written in the book of Numbers about that they, uh, if they were found sacrificing, they were worshiping, they were worshiping at home, they were sacrificing. Commanded to go to the assembly. The assembly oh, yeah. the assembly. Right there. You can go ahead and do whatever you say. All right, so then we're going to go over to Ezekiel 33. Equal thirty six. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, face the sons of your people and face them. If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, make them their walk. Our representative here. the sword comes on the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning 
and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood be on his head. Now, Assyrian, what's King James comes to Assyrian translation, and Strong's point points to the Assyrian language. The word blood there in Assyrian is the word down, like a water dam. D-A-M. Dam. So the dam, the Lord comes and takes away, and his dam and his blood will be on his head. In other words, his, he is damned. He is damned, and his blood is on his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood would be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword come and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away and he's iniquitous. But his blood I will require a watchman's seed. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and, a, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man should die in his iniquity. By his blood I will be required to his hand. But if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your own life. Now, we see here that the wicked, when they do not receive the warning, are taken away. Just like in Noah's day, Noah warned, Noah saw the, the sword coming. God had given him that it would be in a certain time frame, 120 days. Noah knew how much time he had. He knew when it was coming. Noah knew in the end of the world was coming. He may not have known the exact precise day. He knew almost the week, maybe the precise day. He was season for sure. Noah knew. And he blew the trumpet. He warned the people. He even went into the prison to warn the people. But the wicked were taken away. The wicked were taken away with the flood because they did not believe. Now, what if Noah had not warned people? We've seen that Jonah fled from the presence of God and from the message, from the warning that he was sent to Nineveh, capital of Assyria. And we see that Jonah had to be swallowed by a whale for three days and three nights, which was a living hell. I will call this a hell. He was in that He was down during that time. But up in that time. Still he agreed to go and obey the Lord. But Jonah knew when the damnation would come, when the destruction would come. He did come because of prayers, fasting, and repentance. No one knew that it was come, and Jonah knew when it was come. We know that God told Joseph that he would have seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. He knew when the plenty would end. He knew when the seven years of famine would come. 
feed you in seven years of famine for the animal? Those that knew the days, like Jonah, like Noah. In the book of Revelation, how it says 1260 days, it says 42 months, the same amount of time as it in the book of Christ. So the time and time and half time, the same amount of time in the book of Christ. See Daniel 12, right in the Bible, same time and another chapter in Daniel as well talks about the same So time after time, the Bible gives us, even for the animals, that amount of days. Are we children and we can't count? Or are we fearful and don't want Today's a fearful thing when I'm about to share any different place. But this scripture right here tells me that if I see this Lord's trumpet, I don't blow the trumpet, I will be damned. The blood will be on my hands. I would rather blow the trumpet and make a mistake and have everybody disfellowship me, have everybody to call me false prophets, call me names, and for me to be a, a, a man in no man's land, be by myself. I'd rather for all that to happen. Then, for me to see the full coming, and me not say it, and me not share it, then the blood is on my hand. That is a, a more horrible situation than losing lose my life. Salvation, lose my calling, and everything. These will come and go, but my soul is important. So it's more important for me to speak of the things I see. Even if even I'm not understanding them, even if it is something that what I see is not what I think it is. I see something, I have a responsibility to share. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11 and 10. Revelation 11 is talking about the 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, and the two witnesses are in Jerusalem, and they're preaching and ministering the truth to the people worldwide for three and a half years. That's what Revelation 11 is talking about. Then you come down to verse 15. Revelation 11, 15, and the seventh angel comes. That last trump that is represented by the feast of trumpets. We didn't have the feast of trumpets like the seventh angel and the seventh trumpet. Now, as each trumpet is blown, we're going to be able to see, wow, this is happening. Even before the seventh trumpet, 
when we see the invasion, when we see the abomination of desolation, when we see everything written in Scripture, and it tells us the timeline. This will happen. Then this and this tells us the amount of days of peace. Are we so ignorant to where we can't count? Are we so ignorant to where we see it happening and we cannot and will not say, this says this, I see that, this is what the scripture says about it, this is how much time left. We're going to know, absolutely. When these things come to pass, we're going to be able to say, we've got 1,260 days, we've got 1,335, we've got 1,290. Why is it written in the Bible if we can't understand? God might as well not even have told anybody. God may have not even written it in the Bible. Might as well just not even told nobody if it's impossible for us to know when he is going to return and when it's coming. Might as well just say all that's in vain. He was just, God's just a blabber mouth because we don't know what he's doing. It's written so that we can know, that we can understand. This trumpet blows in verse 15. Now look at verse 19. And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and found the pearls of thunder and earthquakes and great So in verse 19, the temple of God in heaven was opened, the ark of the covenant appeared. So uh, there is a Something that can be seen happen on that day. And that only happened on the Day of Atonement. That the high priest, we talk about the Day of Atonement, only on the Day of Atonement did the high priest go behind the veil and go into the Holy of Holies, come into the uh, presence of God. of the Lord, presence of God. That only happened on the day of atonement. Talks about this a little bit before how this verse right here seems like to me it's happening on the day of atonement. Then I've also said, but well, God is sovereign, even though when the temple existed two thousand years ago. It only happened on the day of atonement. But maybe in the end time and in the new covenant time frame that we're living in now, maybe God could do this any day of the year. Maybe he could. But there are some other verses. There are some other verses. Let's look at some other verses. Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, verse 1 to 
shepherd was there strong here. Now that's what the high priest did on the day of his own. Strong here. And that's the only day he could do that. And I believe it's in Hebrews or wherever it is that we can draw near to the throne of God. Boldly come that Jesus knows our infirmities, he comes back. But I just talked about the day of atonement. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen. As we did the earth, all the all it contains here, and the world and all the spaces. For the Lord's foundation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Slaughter, like at a sacrifice. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses, dead bodies, will be off their stench. And the mountains will be drenched with their blood, a lot of blood, carcasses and blood. Verse 4, and all the hosts of heaven will bear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wilder away, as a leaf wilders from the vine, and as one wilders from the fig tree. For my sword is saturated in heaven, talking about the temple of God in heaven, the whole it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and Jordan, and upon the people whom I have, whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is saturated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, and the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Georgia, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom, wild oxen also fall with them, and young bulls. These are the animals that were slaughtered on the day of atonement. So I would underline lambs, goats, rams, and bulls. Verse 6 and 7. Lambs, goats, rams, and bulls. Those are the four animals that were sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. That was the only day out of the whole year that all four of these different animals sacrifice. Now, the context is the coming of the Lord. That is the context of this chapter. Verse 7, wild oxen will also follow them and young bulls with strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with blood and their dust will become greasy with fat. For the day has a day of vengeance. The Lord has a day of vengeance. A year of recompense for the cost of Zion. Its streams return into pits, and its roots earth into brimstone, and its land will become burning pits. That word recompense, verse 8, meaning repay or revenge. Repay or revenge. Verse 8 says, For the Lord has a day of vintage. Year of revenge or year of repay for the cost of Zion. So here is the slaughtering of blood, spilling of blood, a sacrifice in revenge for Zion, in revenge for sin.
Lord's location is in. That a little while while you're saved, all the saints be killed, martyred as you were. So here, Jesus is going to come at the battle of Armageddon, a great slaughter. At the battle of Armageddon, in that last day, the 1335th day of James, 1,336. So, let's look at Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39. And that lamp can reconnect. Last week, everybody got disconnected from the happening. Disconnected from my side. Ezekiel 39. Well, Ezekiel 39 talks about the end of the war. Talks about millennium. Let's back up chapter 30. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, the land of Magog, France of Rosh, Hushbal, and Kobal. He's talking about Russia and Persia, Judah. So he's talking about a lot of people think he's talking about the Antichrist coming to Israel. Now he was talking about, this talks about, uh, it's very clear, Moscow, Kubal, this is talking about Russia, because Russia is the major bicep muscle of Syria. Uh, Syria needs Russia and China. Not Russia and China and Iran. Syria, even though he has a demonic spirit, um, needs me. Like God uses man, the devil uses Syria needs Russia. More than China, Syria needs Russia. Russia has a much more control uh, again. Uh, and says, uh, Moscow and Sudan and prophesy against me and say, Thus saith the Lord God, the whole on against you, O God, sent of Rosh, Moscow, and Sudan, fall. I will turn you about to a hook into your jaws, I will bring you out, and all your army, horses, horse power, and splendor for their fire, the great company, the buckler and shield, all them building. Persia, the Chaldean, Ethiopia, and Jude with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his troops, Beth with his garment, from the remote parts of the court, and all his troops. All dinged up. People like to talk about how great and mighty the Israeli Air Force is. Get all the people against 
I'd rather you not take the cross. In fact, this is talking about invasion of not only Judah, but the United States. They could talk about how great and mighty the United States Maybe at one time years ago when we were younger, but right now the United States and the Navy and the military is not great and mighty. Especially when Obama is appointing uh, homosexual men, willfully gay, unrepentant, who uh, are not even veterans. They don't even know nothing about the military. But appointing them as leaders of the military. Absolutely insane. God will not bless such a military. God will not bless such a nation. But here we're going to be gaining up. So we see World War III. God made God war. World War Three. That's what chapter 38 is. Then we come down to um, Disconnect, call right back in, reconnect. So if anybody's listening to me, which I doubt it, you're out there listening, I'm going to turn this off and reconnect. Maybe somebody will be able to reconnect on their side. Um, so give me two minutes, and then you can call. Well, I know nobody's there. Day of Atonement, September 23rd. Part 2, Day of Atonement, September 23rd, 2015. Okay, so I know the internet had stopped, so I reconnected. Maybe hopefully somebody will try again to get back in. Okay, so uh, Ezekiel 39 verse, actually Ezekiel 38 verse 23, Ezekiel 38, verse 23. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. 
and they will know that I am the Lord. So we know at the end of all things, after the great tribulation, all the trumpets and everything, Jesus comes back. He's going to magnify himself to all the nations. They will know that he is the Lord. Chapter 39, verse 1, And you, son of man, prophesy against God. And say, thus saith the Lord, God, behold, I am against you, O God, Prince of Rosh, Moscow, and Tabal. I will turn you around, drive you on, take you on the remotest part of the north, bring you against the mountains of Israel, uh, so on. So that's war. Uh, let's say. Uh, verse 3, I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and your people who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. So that's the raptor birds, Revelation 19, the great circle of the great God Almighty. Verse 5, you will fall on the open field. So it says in the end, Russia will be defeated. And all those nations that come against the United States and Israel will be defeated at the end of the war, the end of the tribulation. Verse 5, you will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. Behold, and I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlines in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. So in the end times, his, his holy name is being defiled. Then he says, okay, I ain't going to have no more to do with it. Who is Syria? What name are they going to use? Of course, they're going to use Y names. All the Arab nations, they're going to use Y names. So that right there tells us about Jesus' name. And it says, The nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One, and Israel. Verse 8, Behold, it is coming, it shall be done, declares the Lord God. That is the day which I have spoken. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires, with the weapons and burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears, for seven years they will make fires of them. So this is in the millennium, after Jesus comes back, that there are physical people living on the earth that's going to be making fires, burning the weapons, destroying the weapons of destruction. Uh, then let's just go down to verse 17. Verse 17 as for you, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field, assemble and come. Here is a, a commanded assembly like on the Day of Atonement. He's commanding these birds to come for assembly. It's very interesting that it uses that word assembly. Assemble and come and gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I'm going to sacrifice you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Now here, I mean, typically in the Bible we're, not, we're commanded not drink blood, but on that day of atonement here, this sacrifice, those birds are told to drink blood. This is not telling man to drink blood. This is telling those birds to drink blood. That would make those birds unclean 
then because that they're drinking blood. Not that they're a particular kind of bird or species of bird, but because they drink that blood. Remember in Revelation where it says an unclean bird, habitation of every unclean bird? That is symbolic, I've always said, of people. But maybe it's because that they're told to drink that blood that they become unclean. Verse 18, you will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls. That's mind-blowing. I was mind-blown when I saw this. Those were four animals that were sacrificed only on the Day of Atonement. It actually has the word sacrifice in these scriptures. It's talking about the coming of the Lord when he comes. And all the fatlings of Bashar. It even talks about fatlings on the Day of Atonement, too, that we read earlier. Uh, welcome back, Lance. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to reconnect. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. I, for some reason, I think that talks you is like cutting off at 55 minutes to one hour. And then I, what I did, I disconnected and I reconnected. So I guess I'm going to have to start doing that every week unless TalkShoe fixes that. So I might have to send them an email or something. So anyway, thank God. We're in Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39, verse 17 and 18. So in Ezekiel 39, verse 17 and 18, it's talking about after the tribulation, after the war is done, Russia, Iran, and Syria is defeated. Uh, weapons are being burnt uh, and destroyed. The millennium is here. Jesus is here. Uh, everybody is told to keep, in Zechariah 14, everybody has to come up every year to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We're in the millennium in this chapter. But verse 17 is talking about the battle of Armageddon, the great supper of God Almighty, Revelation 19, where the birds, the raptors, the vultures are gathered together to eat the flesh of the wicked. Those people that's going to be taken away. Two should be in the field. One should be taken. One should be left. Two should be in the bed. One should be taken. One should be left. They'll be taken away. Where, Lord, Luke 17, 37, Luke 17, 37. Where, Lord, he says, wherever the carcass is, there were the birds be gathered together. So, this is talking about that same thing. This is talking about the Battle of Armageddon, that last day, that 1335th day of Daniel 12. This is the Day of Atonement, I believe. I don't see how it cannot be. You've got rams, lambs, goats, and bulls. These same four animals, all four at one time. Being, uh, now here, it's humans that are the sacrifice. It's not actually killing those animals, but those animals, those humans, are unclean. Those humans are wicked, unrepentant humans that are being slaughtered or being killed like if there are those, those animals. So in the New Covenant, uh, we don't need to sacrifice those animals. We don't need to sacrifice any animal. But this is a slaughter of mankind that is symbolically representing those same animals that used to be uh, sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. So 
It's not like God is saying, okay, I'm back to you on earth. Let's start sacrificing. There will be no sacrifices of the animals in the millennium. I know Ezekiel 40 to 48 talks about sacrifices, sin offering, sacrifices for sin, uh, and Levitical priesthood. But we know that the New Covenant, the New Testament, tells us that the Levitical priesthood is done away with, that we have one sacrifice once and for all time through Jesus Christ, that he is the Passover lamb, and that there's no need for circumcision or any sacrifices ever again. The Bible is so clear on that. So Ezekiel 40, chapter 40 through chapter 48, is talking about the second temple. Uh, people say that the, the temple of Ezekiel 40 to 48 has not been built yet. They're wrong. It was built. The second temple is what that was talking about. It does not match 100% the second temple size and description and everything that happened with the second temple with what the scriptures say because the Jews did not obey the instructions. The Jews did not obey even the Jewish rabbis even though we don't trust everything they say, but even though the Jewish rabbis do admit that Ezekiel 40 to 48 is talking about the second temple, and they admit that they did not follow all the instructions commandments of building that temple, that they did not build it to the perfection that God had commanded. So the Ezekiel 40 to 48 is impossible to be a millennium temple. It's impossible because it has sacrifices for sin. It has a Levitical priesthood. It has uh, a difference between Jew and Gentile. It has all that stuff in that temple, which does not exist under the New Covenant. So there's no need for sacrifice of lambs, lambs, goats, and bulls. But this is a sacrifice of human beings here in verse 18. They are symbolically representing that. Because, I believe, because it's the day of atonement. Look at Revelation 6. We talked about this a while ago. Revelation 6. Where they're pleading for revenge for the blood. Ephesians, I mean, uh, Revelation 6, verse 9. Revelation 6, verse 9. This is another case of uh, symbolism, spiritual symbolism. Revelation 6, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, that's the great tribulation starting, I saw underneath the altar the souls of them who had been slain like a sacrifice because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? But here we do see that the blood of the saints is calling out for revenge. Now, this is the great tribulation. They're told that their brethren, that they're to rest a while because their brethren's going to be martyred as they were. So they got to go, we got to go through the tribulation. Uh, there's going to be martyrdom of the church of God during that time. 
and that the revenge from the Lord will not come until Jesus, well, he's, he's going to bring that revenge through the tribulation and through the wrath for the ultimate revenge. The ultimate revenge, bottom line, is going to be on the day he comes, as we was reading in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 43. 32, 43. Back up to verse 34. Eudemonitry, chapter 32, verse 34. Chapter 32, verse 34. Is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasures, vintage is mine, and retribution in due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, and he will say, Where are their gods? the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who will who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, as I say, as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vintage on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh and the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. That word long-haired leaders is talking to, is talking in reference to those demon gods. Uh, Peter Pan, Pan, Allah is all the same. Long-haired is related, related to the Syrian word for goat. From the long-haired or goat leaders of the enemy. Verse 43, rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and he will render the vintage on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. When? Well, it's going to happen on the day that he returns. Amen. So here we see that word atone for his people, for Zion, for his land, revenge, blood, all of this, sword, vintage, all of this. All these words that can uh, help us understand, I believe that he's going to return 
on the Day of Atonement. And now, so if we understand that he's going to return on the Day of Atonement, let's look at those last holy days of the year. Okay? On the seventh month, first day is the Feast of Trumpets. What does that picture? Warning. Blowing the trumpet. The sword is coming. The sacrifice is coming. The end is coming. Jesus is coming. Each one, like a clock. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The seventh one, we are called up. We are up there 40 to 45 days, and the wrath is being poured out on the unrepentant. They can still repent, but they don't. So they're worthy of all that they received and of being aided by the rapture birds would come to the 1,335th day. On that last day, Jesus returns. Now, when Jesus returns, what happens next? According to biblical history, Zechariah 14, he lands on Mount of Olives and it's for cleaving too. Then all the nations come up to Jerusalem to keep the feast of tabernacles. So if we have trumpets first, and then we go through a process of time, he lands on the Mount of Olives, everybody starts coming up to Jerusalem to keep the feast of tabernacles. What's in between? The Day of Atonement. Amen? Hey, that's exciting. <laughs> so you got the Feast of Trumpets, which. Uh, we're up there 40 to 45 days. So you, we can't have the catching up exactly on the Feast of Trumpets. But the Feast of Trumpets pictures, symbolize the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the process of time, and then that seventh trumpet are catching up. But then we see from all these scriptures, it seems like to me that the last day, the battle of Armageddon, the day that we come down with him, is at the Day of Atonement, and then people start coming up for the Feast of Tabernacles. That seventh month is the only month of the year that we have all these different holy days. We have Trumpets, Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and Last Great Day. So really, four different holidays, holy days, on that seventh month. We don't have that any other time of year. There's something special about that seventh month. What is seven? The seventh month is the number of complete, of done, of perfection, of fullness. It is the number, the seventh month, of completeness. What is those holy days in that seventh month picture? The coming of the Lord and the start of the millennium. That's what they picture. So it really comes into place. All of it falls into place. Now, what about where the scriptures say that no man knows the day and the hour? We have to look at that. So let's look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24, starting in verse 15. 
Matthew 24:15. Now he's been telling signs of the end time. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, somebody standing, a thought standing in the holy place, the temple, no temple, but the temple mount, I mean. Let the reader understand. Verse 16, Then those who are in Judea and all those Christians worldwide that are appointed for uh, wilderness to flee the mount. Verse 17, Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get the cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Because time is short, it's a fleeing, it's an urgency, it's fleeing for your life. But here's another thing about verse 19. Last night I was contacted, or yesterday I was contacted by Jenny and Joshua that uh, they had found the website. God led them there. They're learning a lot of truth, embracing a lot of truth. And but then uh, Jenny starts reading about the whole law. So she goes through her cupboards, and guess what? She actually has some things with the halal mark in the cover of baby formula. So, and on the way here today, I uh, stopped at Walmart not to buy anything, but to just look to see if the baby formula locally, because they're in Texas. I'm like, that's a nationwide product. I'm sure it's on there. I'm going to look. And sure enough, at our local Walmarts, there's the halal mark and the baby formula. So woe unto those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. We know that the devil attacks children, Christmas, Halloween, Easter, how ISIS is killing the children, how uh, the Taliban, they're saying now the Taliban in Afghanistan is raping all the little boys, and Obama has ordered the military to not complain, to not speak up, to not say nothing, to not interfere, to not stop the rapes of the little boys. It's absolutely astounding wickedness that we're living in. The wickedness that we're living in right now has got to be bypassed in the days of Noah. It's absolutely insane. So verse 19, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies. In those days, verse 20, to pray that your flight would not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath. Well, guess what? If Jesus comes on the Day of Atonement, well, we know we've got to have three and a half years, right? So it can't be like today, Day of Atonement. It can't be next year, Day of Atonement. We have to have 1,335 days from the abomination of desolation to that final day of atonement. So, now bear with me because we're going to go through some more scriptures here. But, uh, because we come to this verse right here so that I won't forget, I'll go ahead and share it now. The first possible day of atonement, if he's coming day of atonement, the first possible day of atonement would be the day of atonement 2019, which would be October the 8th, uh, 2019, on a Thursday, but we start fasting on the previous day, Wednesday, uh, on the 7th, October 7th. So he could come October 7th or the 8th, and maybe that's why it says no man knows the day or the hour, because 
since atonement is the only holy day that we're doing from sunset to sunset, other than the fasting of unleavened bread, of, that we don't eat unleavened, that's from sunset to sunset. Only during your fast days of fasting unleavened bread and your fasting of atonement do you do sunset to sunset. So for that reason, we don't know whether it be the seventh or the eighth. Maybe that's why it says that. Now, that seventh is on Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, which is an important day where they put the ash crosses on their foreheads, so there could be a significance to that. Um, so that's the first possible Day of Atonement. But it's also possible that it could be the Day of Atonement of the next year or the next year or the next year. I'm just saying the first possible. I'm not saying that Jesus will absolutely come back October 7th or October 8th, 2019. I'm just saying that's the first possible Day of Atonement, considering that we must have 1,335 days between abomination of desolation and atonement. So, if he was to come back on the day of atonement, and you minus, you subtract, you go back, count backwards 1,335 days, then if we consider the first possible day of atonement, 2019, we come to February the 10th or 11th of 2016. That's four and a half months away. Again, that's February the 10th or 11th, 2016 for possible abomination of desolation. Now, that abomination of desolation could be Assad standing on the Temple Mount, and I don't know whether the when he sits on the uh, throne of God in heaven, if that's the same day or, or a separate day before or after that. I don't know. It would make sense it's the same day. So February 10th and 11th is something to be watchful. That would put it, the abomination of desolation and the 30 days of fleeing in the winter. That's why I bring it up with this verse. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. This is not the Sabbath day. February 10th or 11th, but it's in the winter. And it doesn't say winter and Sabbath. It says winter or Sabbath. So it could be just one or the other. So this would put February 10th and 11th in the winter time, close to spring, but still winter time. 30 days of fleeing would go all the way up to March the 10th or March the 11th. Spring doesn't start to March 21st, March 20th, something like that. So there's just things to consider, just things to consider. Now let's keep reading. Verse 21, For then will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days should be cut short, meaning come to an end, put a stop to these things, that no life would have been saved, no life on the planet, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short, come to a stop. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for there be false Christes, and false prophets will rise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if you say, if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, talking about the Antichrist, do not go out, 
the Hohes in the inner, inner rooms, inner chamber, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes out of the east and flashes even to the west, which it don't always, but it's saying even as it comes from one end of the sky to the other, that you can see the storm approaching. We're going to be able to see the signs in the sky, the different trumpets, the different seals, the different things that the Bible tells us is going to happen, that we're going to be able to see it coming closer and closer, even as we can see the lightning and the clouds come closer and closer. So we're going to be able to see, we're going to be able to know that uh, that amen is one, two, three, is in order. And then it says, verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there will the vultures be gathered. So uh, all the way up until that day of atonement, all the way up to that sacrifice, when those raptor birds are going to be eating the men just as if they're eating the uh, blood of bulls, rams, goats, and lambs. So it's interesting that verse 28 there talks about that. If we go back to the previous verses we've been reading, it coincides with this uh, really good possibility of him returning on the Day of Atonement. But let's keep reading. Verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, it's backing up here to the sixth seal here that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So here the light, lightning. Here you got signs in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he's going to send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other, talking about from west to east to north to south. Not that people are in heaven, but people being gathered up from all ends of the earth underneath the sky. Verse 32. Now, learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you, too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. It doesn't say, it doesn't teach us to say, it might be another hundred years or it might be another four years, but rather that when we see certain things, we're supposed to recognize it, that he is at the door. That he is at the door. So we're going to know. We're going to know. Verse 34. Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now why does it say that? If, if it's impossible for us to know. I believe that the reason it says that is because to the disciples, to the people that was hearing him say that when he spoke it, it was not meant for them to know. 2,000 years has passed. It wasn't meant for them to know. That's clear. It wasn't meant for them to know. Now it says, nor the Son. When Jesus was on earth, he had sacrificed a lot of his glory, even though he was still God in the flesh. He sacrificed a lot of his glory. It wasn't meant 
for the Son of Man, for the Son of God, while he was on earth, to know exactly what day that he would return. Now, he's God. Jesus God. He knows everything that's ever happened, is happening, and never will happen. But when he was in the flesh, he was limited to some degree. He could have called 10,000 of angels, absolutely. He still had power and authority. He still worked great and marvelous works and, and, and uh, miracles. But he was still the Son of Man. He was still the Son of Man at that time. And it was not meant for him to know at that time, while he was on earth with the physical flesh, about exactly what day and what time that he would return 2,000 years later. But now, that's not so. Now, he is glorified again. Now, he is in heaven. Now, he is on his throne. Now, he is no longer in the flesh. I guarantee you, Jesus knows when he's coming back. He's God. He knows when he's returning. He sees all the signs we do and more and understands every one of them. And he knows the timeline more than we could ever do by reading it over and over. He knows when he's coming. So if he knows when he's coming now, but didn't know when he was coming then, then isn't that verse only talking about then? Just when it was coming out of his mouth to the people that was actually listening to him at that time, even though he knew we would be reading this, but he was speaking to them. He wasn't speaking to us. He wasn't saying that it's impossible that Jesus would ever know when he's coming. He's not saying that it's impossible that the angels of heaven would never ever come to know or knowledge or understanding of when that day would come. Don't you think that when day one starts of the 1260, that the angels have enough sense and intelligence to know that the 1260 has started and know how to count 1,260 days? And the same with the 1335. Don't we know that Jesus knows how to count and that when day one happens, that he knows that it's day one? Is Jesus ignorant or is Jesus God? Jesus knows when he's going to return. And I believe that we can know too. This verse does not say that man would never know. It's all in present tense here. It doesn't say that man would never know. It just says that they don't know at the time of the speaking here. And it's confirmed in the next verse. Look at verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they did not understand until the day came and touched them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Who did not know in the days of Noah. The wicked did not know. Did Noah know? Absolutely. Did God know? Absolutely. Noah knew he had 120 days. God told him that. God knew and Noah knew. Who did not know? The wicked who will be taken away. It's going to be the same as it was then. Amen.
Verse 40, then there would be two men in the field, and one would be taken, one would be left. Two women would be grinding at the mill, one would be taken, one would be left. Again, that's talking about the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement of men being eaten by raptor birds. So twice now, it has used that symbolism of the sacrifice of men dying like rams and lambs and goats and lambs and bulls twice now in reference to his coming. And any time that the scriptures says something twice, it calls reason to pay even more attention and to make us think deeper and make us think more whenever it's repeated twice in 28 and in verse 41. Verse 42 now. Verse 42, we're in Matthew 24, verse 42. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now, that's a good thing if the man of the house does know what time. And if the man knows what time, he can be awake. And the Bible tells us to be awake and not asleep. It's a good thing if he does know and if he is awake and if he's alert. And it's telling us to be alert. It's telling us to be awake. It's telling us, don't be this man that don't know what time it's going to be. It's telling us, don't be like one, like a thief break, breaking in. Is Jesus a thief? No. Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly, but the devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. So yes, he's coming as a thief to the wicked, but he's not coming as a thief to us. Amen? He's not coming as a thief to us. We do not look as Jesus is a thief, and he is not calling himself a thief. But to the wicked, he's coming like a thief, unaware that the people is going to be unaware, that the people will still be given in this and given in that, partying and, and doing all that living it up, partying up, acting like if he's not coming, like the Lord Lord is delaying his coming. But we are not like that. We are looking. We are watching. We are waiting. There's nothing wrong with being like, I believe that he is coming in my lifetime. Nothing wrong with that. The apostles thought they were coming, that Jesus was coming in his lifetime. They were wrong that there was nothing wrong with them having that thinking that he's coming in my lifetime, that he's coming before I die. There was nothing wrong. The Bible does not condemn the disciples and apostles for that thinking, even though they were wrong about when he would come. But for us, he is coming. For us, it's actually going to happen. And if it's actually going to happen in our lifetime, 
we should be able to read the clock, to know the signs, to recognize the signs, and be able to count days on a calendar. It is not impossible. The scriptures say nothing shall be impossible with you. Uh-oh, except? No. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Amos 3.7 says that he should do nothing unless we reveal it to his servants, the prophets, first. Is that not what it says? Let's look at more here. Verse 44. For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming out of the hour when you do not think he will. Again, now that time it limits it to just an hour and not a day. And again, if he comes on the Day of Atonement, we don't know whether it's going to be the sunset of the ninth or on the latter part of the tenth. But we can know the season. And what about this uh, new moon thing? Sometimes we don't know when the new moon is going to be on this day or that day. Basically, we're living in the mountains or a place with a lot of trees. What if we don't have the Internet no more? What if we lose the calendars that we've already made up that goes through 2019? What if those get damaged or lost? And what if we come down to that very month for his return and it's cloudy on the day of the new moon, maybe cloudy for a week, maybe cloudy all month? The Bible talks about how the skies would be hindered, how the skies would be cloudy, how the skies would be, it even says here, come in the clouds, even. We may not know the new moon that month. That don't mean he won't come on the day of atonement. Another thing to point out here is in verse um, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. The Feast of Trumpets is called by the Jewish people. The feast, the festival that we don't know the day and the hour of its arrival. It's known by that name. Not only is it known by, uh, what, Russia, whatever they say, the trumpets, it's also known by the Jews as the Festival of Trumpets, I'm talking about now, the Feast of Trumpets, the, fe- the first day of the seventh month of the new moon, the festival that we don't know the day and the hour of its arrival is what it's known by. So, the people who are Jews who would read this, automatically it would come into their mind the Feast of Trumpets when they hear this phrase automatically, especially 2,000 years ago, automatically it would come into their mind. We don't know the day or the hour of the Feast of Trumpets, which was the same month as Atonement. In fact, it's only nine days earlier before the Day of Atonement. And the reason it's known by that phrase by the Jews is because they didn't have the Internet then. They didn't have the... uh, uh, astronomy, telescopes, and internet websites, they had to be out in the field looking for that new moon. And they didn't know if it would arrive this day or that day. And it was the only holy day, trumpets was the only holy day of the year that occurred actually on the new moon. Whereas all the other holy days was like the 14th or the 15th or the 10th. So 
all the other holy days, you would have, you might not know when the new moon was, but by the second and third day of the month, you would know, well, that's the second day moon, that's the third day moon. And by the time it comes the 14th and 15th, it would be full. So you would know the other holy days. But trumpets was the only holy day that is on the first of the month when the crescent is only up for only a few minutes, only very low in the horizon. It can be blocked by mountains, hills, trees, clouds, or even uh, especially bright sunshine that day of sunset. So the trumpets was known as the festival of which you don't know the day and the hour that it would come. And they would recognize that, the Jews was, when he said this. The disciples would have recognized this. So this is another, maybe Jesus is giving them a clue right there. Because trumpets would have been in their mind. And only nine days later would be the Day of Atonement. Now let's look at verse 45. Verse 45, we're in Matthew 24. Verse 25. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says into his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, with alcoholics, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at the eye which he does not know. And I will cut him in pieces and assign him in a place for the hypocrite. Cut him in pieces and slaughtering him, sacrificing him on that day of atonement. What is the context of all these verses? Is the wicked do not know when he's coming. Verse 38, as it was in the day of Noah when they was eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day of Noah's ark. And again here, the same thing is happening in these verses of 48, 49, and 50, and 51. It's talking about people that saying, oh, he's not coming. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. We can't determine it. We don't know. It could be another 100 years. It's talking, the context of all this about we don't know is talking about the wicked. Let's look at something else, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were prudent. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed to their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps were going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. 
Later, the other versions also came saying, Lord, Lord, woken up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Who is in danger here? The true saints who are ready and alert and watchful? Or those that have the foolish attitude of we, we don't know? and wickedness, and not preparing, and not having the extra oil, and not being prepared. Who is the warning that we don't know the day and hour really to? Is that warning to those that are ready and watchful? Or is that warning to those that are not watching, who are not willing to accept revelation, to the wicked, to the unrepentant? I believe that every time that it's saying we don't know the day and the hour, that the context is to the wicked and to those who are not willing to grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. For nothing shall be impossible to us if Christ himself is in our mind. If we have the mind of Christ, how can we not know? How can we not know when day one appears? How can we not know when the clock changes hour by hour and each seal and each trumpet blows? How can we not know if we have the mind of Christ and Christ living in us? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse Greetings, uh, I believe that's you, Jenny, that uh, I know I can't hear you because I've got everything muted. So I believe that's you, Jenny and Joshua, and I hope so, and welcome to the services. And We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brother, about those who are asleep. So that I believe King James says, "Ignorant." I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those that have been martyred uh, or died uh, in Jesus. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, that word remain means to survive, to make it through the tribulation until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those that are a grave, in the grave asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, survive, make it through the tribulation, will be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will all, shall always be with the Lord, but he's going to be on earth, Zechariah 14, Revelation 5, 10, million other places, the Lord is going to come down to the earth. We should be on the earth with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now as to the times and the epochs, which means the eras, time eras, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, to that church of Thessalonia. He's not writing specifically to us so much, but he's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, I don't, I don't have need to be writing to you about time eras. Verse 2, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord would come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor and pains upon a woman with child and they do not will not escape. Who will not escape? The saint or the wicked? Context again is the wicked. Who is claiming peace and safety? Peace and safety, peace and safety. Everything is okay. The Lord is not coming. The end of the world is not coming. The wicked. Again, in every place where it says that we don't know when the Lord's coming, the context is wicked people who are not ready, not alert, not watchful, ignorant, uninformed people. We are not to be like them. Verse 4. But you, brethren, in contrast, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. Amen? Praise God. We will not be alarmed. We will not be surprised. We will not see Jesus as a thief. We don't consider him as a thief. We are not surprised in the middle of the night the wise virgins was not surprised at the midnight hour. They were alert and uh, ready. They were ready. We are not in the darkness. We are not uninformed. We are not ignorant. Verse 4, that you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are the sons of light and the sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Amen. So we are not like those that he comes unexpectedly. Remember, Jonah was given that it would occur in 40 days. Noah was, I, I said Noah 120 days, but it's 120 years, right? So I'm glad you caught that. And I hope everybody else did too. I sure didn't catch it. But I know it was 120 years. It wasn't 121, it wasn't 119. Noah knew, God knew, Jonah knew. Uh, it, say, it says in the book of Revelation that it's going to be a certain amount of days. If we can count, we should eventually come to know whether it's today through this sermon or whether it's going to be coming up in February or sometime or another, sooner or later, we're going to come to know and not be ignorant and not be uninformed and not be in the dark about these things. 
For the Lord does nothing unless he reveals to his servants the prophets first. Amos 3, 7. I believe that with this overwhelming scriptures that I have shared, that there's a strong possibility that he's going to come on the day of atonement. God is sovereign. I am human. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. Whatever God chooses, let it so be according to his will. But I believe that the prudent thing to do is to remain watchful. The first possible day of atonement that he could come, if he comes on the day of atonement, considering that we must have 1,335 days according to Daniel 12, other places in Daniel, book of Revelation and so forth, the first possible day of atonement that he could arrive on the Battle of Armageddon would be October the 7th or October 8th, 2019. Going backwards from that date, 1,335 days, we come to February the 10th or February the 11th, 2016. Ash Wednesday time frame. February, winter, 2016, for a possible date of the abomination of desolation. I am not saying, thus saith the Lord, that it will occur on that date. I am not making that claim. But I'm saying that this is a possibility. Now, if that does happen in February, the abomination of desolation, then that means that in this next four and a half months, the dams have to fall. Because before the abomination of desolation can happen, there has to be other events that happen first. Uh, before the abomination of desolation can happen, we've got to have a war with Syria, not just ISIS, but a war with Syria, a war with the president of Syria, and uh, that daily head wound of the Antichrist, the daily head wound of the Son of Perdition, has to be fulfilled. Uh, NATO, the United States, United States has to attack Assad before all of that can happen. So we may see the dams fall uh, any second, in a minute, in a day, uh, any week, any month between now and the abomination of desolation. So, so just because there's a possibility of the abomination of desolation being in February, doesn't mean that we should take the next four and a half months and do nothing. But rather it means we need to remain vigilant because there can, see, there can still be some huge major events could occur in this time frame between now and then any time of which we do not know of what day that's going to happen. And again, these new moons, we sometimes we're not always exactly on track about when the new moons will occur. So it's possible that we won't know the day because that we don't know when the first or seventh month is. Um, and who knows about um, even if we're even in the seventh month right now, the way the calendar has been twisted and everything and the confusion about when the year starts. So man is uh, is fallible. Man can be wrong about even the first of the year. And if we get the first of the year wrong by a whole month, 
then it might be the seventh month when we think it's only the fifth month or sixth month, you know. So we can't say for sure. I'm not saying for sure. But I'm saying this is a strong possibility and that we need to be watchful and alert just in case. Okay. So we're going to turn the internet off and we're going to continue with our fellowship here on this Day of Atonement in East Tennessee. I thank you, uh, Lance, and I also thank you, Jenny and Joshua. I thank Lisa. I thank all the people that have been listening live over the internet or over the telephone. I'm sorry that we uh, had some trouble with the internet uh, or phone lines earlier. I uh, don't know what's going on with the TalkShoe uh, website. Hopefully, uh, it will run more smoothly next week. Uh, now, let's see. Today is uh, Wednesday on the Roman Catholic calendar, I guess. Yeah. Uh, next services will be uh, Saturday, the Sabbath. And then, and that's at the usual time, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the broadcast. And then uh, that next day, Sunday, September the 27th, we're going to be setting up the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and then that same night, Sunday night, is the Blood Moon, which is going to represent the precise time and date of Jesus' birth. And so if you've not checked that, that article out yet on the website, isawthelightministries.com, make sure you check out that article about the Blood Moon. Uh, I did not learn that from any man, any church, any website, any denomination. The only what uh, Jesus revealed to me through the Holy Spirit about the blood moons, that the one on April of 2015 was the precise time and date of his death, and this one coming up on September 27th in God's calendar, not in the Roman calendar, God's calendar will be the precise date and time of his birth. So that's going to be the birthday of Jesus, Sunday night. Uh, Eastern time, it's like 10.50, something like that, p.m. Eastern time, be 9.50 Eastern time. Whenever the lunar eclipse, full moon, it's going to be a full eclipse. That is God saying, I'm, this is my clock. That is God's clock. That is God in heaven saying, this is my clock, signifying not only is this the Feast of Tabernacles, but the day of my birth. That's why you need to keep the Holy Days. Because when we keep the Holy Days, it reveals to us the plan of salvation. It reveals to us history. It reveals to us future. It reveals to us prophecy. Uh, the Holy Days are so significant. Amen. Thank you for listening. We'll be also having the Feast uh September the 28th through October the 6th, and we'll have services on the Internet uh, September 28th, and then October 4th, 5th, and 6th, three days in a row, October 4th, 5th, and 6th. I may be adjusting some of the time frames, but the dates are solid, that we will be having services on the Internet this coming Saturday, Sabbath, as well as September 28th, Monday, for the first day of the feast. September 28th, Monday, first day of the feast. As well as the last three days of the feast, October the 4th, 
fifth and sixth, those three days, uh, that we'll be having services as well. So a lot of services, a lot of learning, a lot of scriptures. We need to get this word of God into us, ingrained into our minds, souls, and hearts. There may be a day coming that some of us may not have the Bible. So we need to get this ingrained into us. We'll be praying for you, Jenny, and for your family in the situation with the baby formula. I went to Walmart today just to look, not to buy anything, and uh, all the baby formula, or not all of it, but the baby formula on our shelves also have the halal mark. So that's nationwide. So this ministry needs to put, put it in high gear and start putting flyers out there about the halal mark. We need to start going in the parking lots to see anybody with a baby. We need to give them a flyer. We need to warn them about the halal mark on the baby formula. But praise God that there are other brands that don't have the halal mark. I went in Walmart, looked today to look to make for sure. And there are other brands of baby formula and baby foods and stuff that do not have the mark. So we need to start getting that stuff. And that stuff is also WIC approved as well as cash, check, and credit card for the other products that are available. And you can also look up on the Internet about how to make your own baby formula and how to make your own uh, petalite and all that stuff can be made homemade, much more natural and nutritious and stuff like that. And the church will be doing their part at distributing the flyers, helping the orphans and the widows and the sick and the needy and the poor and the outcasts. We need to do this work. We are the body of Christ on this planet. We need to be active, not only in speech, but in our steps. We need to go forth in the parking lots, tell the people about the halal mark. So we'll be putting up information about how you too can receive these flyers to distribute in your area. Look for that in the newsletter in the coming days. We're trying to get that out. And also uh, flyers for Halloween are coming up. We need to get those out. In, in great magnitude. All right. I'll be quiet now. Thanks for listening. I'll disconnect the Internet. All this in Jesus' name. Amen.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.